when I was in college, one of our one of our college coaches was best friends with Ray Allen. I was trying to like figure like you know get inside of his brain, and like we would like chat a little bit. And one time I asked him, I was like, Ray, when you shoot the ball, like do you ever like do you ever think like like this isn't going in? He like he was like absolutely not. He's like every time I shoot the ball, I I don't think it's gonna go. I'm a hundred percent positive it's gonna go in. I the whole time I'm on the court, I'm thinking if I can just get the ball out of my hands, it's gonna go in the hoop. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author, Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. Today's guest is Sean Light. Sean went from climbing the ranks as a young strength and conditioning professional in Major League Baseball to joining me to run the weight room and strength and conditioning department of the LA Lakers together. Sean lives, I I should say, thrives in the deep end of neuroscience and human performance, and I learned a ton from him in this area while I was with him with the Lakers, and I learned even more during this episode. You can follow Sean on Twitter at Slight20, that's at S-L-I-G-H-T 20, and go to his website, weightroomwealth.com. In this episode, Phil and I asked Sean to take us beyond the buoys and crack open or unlock the idea of how neuroscience impacts human performance, productivity, high achievement, just about anything related to leadership and success, and Sean did not disappoint. This is just a fair warning. Put your floaties on, because this one gets deep. Let's get into the conversation. Sean, before I put the ball on the tee and let you rocket the ball over the fence on the topic of neuroscience of success and how the heck you plan to weave that into basketball, which I cannot wait for you to uh, untangle for me and for us, I do want you to talk us through a little bit of your journey because it included going through the ranks of pro baseball strength and conditioning, going all the way into the NBA strength and conditioning, maybe some of the differences you noted in the two sports and the two environments and, and what that process was like for you. Sure. Well, first of all, guys, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm legitimately not just saying this, I'm a long time listener. <clears throat> I've, I've listened to a ton of these podcasts when I'm just like cranking away in the gym. So it's cool, man. It's, it really is cool to be here. So thank we you. We appreciate that. that. Yeah. Um, man, my journey has been a wild one. A lot of, I mean, it's been a roller coaster. been all over the place. Yeah. You know, I went to, I'm, I'm representing my, my Quinnipiac Bobcats here on the basketball strong podcast. Um, I was, I, I picked when I went to Quinnipiac, I, I picked journalism as my major, uh, because I was a hundred percent positive that I would be playing in the NBA. Uh, wow. and yeah, like I was like, I was freaking, I felt like I was the man. Like I, I really had it. And, uh, <laughs> As it turns out, <laughs> I did not. Uh, and it, you know, it took a little <laughs> bit for me to, to, for those, for those pieces to come together, man. But uh, unfortunately I selected journalism because it was the easiest possible thing. And I was just, I was just going to fit that role of being an NBA player, like just cool, casual, going to class, going to class. And, and I really, I really played that role up. And after college, like I really just was out of luck. I, I, I was like, I don't want to be a journalist. I tried being a history teacher for a little bit uh, at a high school in New Haven, Connecticut. And that was just the worst experience. Uh, and I just kind of stumbled into strength and conditioning on a whim. And, uh, my, my coach, uh, my college strength coach at Quinnipiac, Bridget Patel, he, 
he was cool enough to just like say like, Hey, like, absolutely. Let's give it a shot. We'll give you an internship uh, for an entire year, which was like super awkward for me because like the year before, like these were my friends, these were the, my peers and people I was with, right. and, you know, like full disclosure, you know, I would be like training the women's lacrosse team who the year before I was at the club with them, you know, buying drinks. <laughs> uh, and now it's like, I'm in this like weird, like awkward role of being an authority figure. And it was, it was very uncomfortable for me. Uh, but, uh, my brother at the time was, was like a big time baseball prospect. And he ended up connecting me with somebody who was a strength coach for the, for the New York Yankees. Uh, and I had, he just got me this like unofficial internship with the team. And that's where I really started to get the sense that, uh, strength and conditioning was cool. Like it was really fun and like being around the guys and it's just such a different, especially pro is much different than college. And I, I really like, I caught the bug, uh, and mm. And, uh, like I, I was, I was ready to rock and, uh, you know, I went through like a really like weird, like, uh, you know, interview process, trying to find a job. I ended up getting a job in the minor leagues. My first job was in Missoula, Montana for the single a affiliate of the Arizona diamondbacks, uh, the Missoula Osprey. I was making $23,500 per day. And, uh, yeah, just, just, just crushing it. Rolling. Uh, but, but the, the, the big thing for me was, like I, when I got there as a journalism major, they, they were like way smarter than me. Everybody on staff, they're all dual certified PTs, mm. ATCs, LMTs, like the whole nine. Uh, and I was, I was a journalism degree and some basketball experience. <laughs> and I was like, I was like operating under the CrossFit model, like more is better. And they were just, they were just like, just blasting me, like just making me feel like this small. I mean, in, in like meetings, they would, they would like call on me and say like, Sean, like, you know, like, you know, like what's, where's the biceps for Morris? And I was like, right here, boys. <laughs> I, I just got so embarrassed uh, that it really led me into like studying like insanely aggressively. And, you know, I just, mm. it, you know, it rolled into uh, four years with the Diamondbacks into the Lakers with UTD, which was amazing. Uh, and, you know, as far as like baseball goes, the big thing was always uh, shoulder, elbow, that was the, that was like the main thing that we were always, always focused on. It was the grind of an 162 game season, uh, yeah. and trying to just manage that load. Um, I honestly, there wasn't a significant difference between the NBA and the MLB season. Full disclosure. I don't know how much the NBA guys are going to take this significantly easier. The NBA season, like, you know, it really felt like a break to me coming off of the, the, the professional baseball grind of having like mm. being done it at noon, uh, the next, you know, on a practice day and stuff like that. So, um, I, as far as like, you know, the training goes, I didn't see much, much of a difference. Uh, you know, I, I was picked up a lot from UTD of like, I remember asking you about like the Achilles stuff and the calf races yeah. and stuff like I, I didn't really see that when I came over, I was this thick headed science nerd. Uh, and I just started to pick those things up. And, uh, I think one of the other big changes was working with the guys who weren't playing. I think that was something that was kind of new to me when I moved over, but incredible experience all around. And it's led me to all these different places. And, and here I am now. Hold on a second. You're not, there's no way you got out of Missoula without some classic minor league story or two or three along the way. Is there one that you could share on air that depicts the minor leaguedness of that situation? Man, I mean, there, the, the amount, I mean, I spent a year in Montana, I spent a year in Oregon, Illinois, and Mobile, Alabama, and I have more stories than you can imagine. Up in Montana, it was cool. They actually had this, uh, they actually had 
this uh, float to the park night. Uh, and there was, there was a river behind the, the, uh, the stadium and the fans would like float down the river from miles up. And they would like, they would like pull them out of the river and they'd come into the stands. The only time we got a standing ovation all year was when an actual Osprey flew over the stands with a bird in its talons. Uh, there was a, uh, <laughs> there was like a nest in center field. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty wild. Uh, you know, but you know, I, in, in terms of, in terms of crazy stories, you know, what I remember is like just being in the clubhouse with like the guys and, and like, just like, just being there after hours, like praying for rainouts. Uh, like when, when you, I mean, listen, you go on news channel four and you see whatever their weather is. If you want the real scoop on the weather, you got to go into a professional baseball clubhouse. If there's a cloud in the sky, <laughs> that clubhouse turns into a Doppler Doppler weather center. Uh, everyone's like, you got weather channel. You got AccuWeather. We're going to compare results. We need to know if we're going to be playing this game later. I think the best story that I probably tell uh, is we had Randy Johnson the big unit. He was a special assistant to the GM when I was with, when I was with the diamondbacks. No. And, yeah. And I was in my fourth year. I was like really comfortable. I was like, you know, the man, whatever. Uh, and so ever like what they would do when I was in Alabama is like, they would send like the, the executives, the front office people out to just make, see how things were going, you know, check in on the prospects, see who was doing really well and so on and so forth. So Randy would come out. We Randy would come out to uh, Alabama and our manager was the guy who was the catcher for his, perfect game so they were tight and we ever he, he called him unit so we just started him calling him unit and what my thing was for every person who came out we were going to have a biceps measuring contest to see who had the biggest biceps in the diamondbacks organization and why wouldn't randy you? yeah big unit he's a skinny dude so like <laughs> he comes he comes out he's out there for like three days the first day i'm like listen unit i got it look we're doing this thing we measure everybody's bicep uh you know we just gotta you know, it's just what we're doing. And he like scowls at me. He's just like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I was just like, all right, whatever. Like, okay, big unit says he's not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Right. So the next couple of nights we're like crushing beers in the clubhouse afterwards. And I'm like, unit, man, we got to get your bicep. Nobody leaves here without measuring his bicep. And I'm just hounding him for three days. <laughs> and, on our, and, and on our last day there, uh, we're in the club. We're in like the coach's office after the game. Uh, and, like, this is like, we're just like in our like sliding shorts and like tees. Uh, and I'm just like, unit. It's your last day. We have to get you. We have to measure your bicep. And he goes, uh, and he's just like, damn it. He's like, you're just not going to leave me alone with this thing. And I was like, everybody, I was like, everybody here. I am talking back to the big unit. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm like, everybody who comes through here gets their biceps measured. He goes, he says, he goes, is that how it's going to be? And I was like, I was like, we got to get it. And he goes, you know what? I think you can measure this. And he reaches into his pocket and he slams on the table, his hall of fame ring. Uh, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, measure that. And I go, all right, Randy Johnson just won the bicep contest. <laughs> we're, 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 we're good, man. We're good. It's over. Right. It's over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how oh, we got man. it. Man. Classic, classic minor league. Oh man. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, you did mention one thing in there just in passing of, the how much of a grind baseball felt like to you versus it was almost like a country club as as you alluded to there in your comment uh what the nba was and um take us through like a little snapshot of why you feel that way of what it's like yeah. to be in minor league baseball or even pro baseball at any level day to day and in the in and out of it versus what happens in a basketball environment over the course of a season 
Sure. So, I mean, the big thing, like the one that stands out to me the most is like, we would like play our first game in, in like really early April and like the games, I remember this vividly every in baseball, like, yeah. in baseball, when we like yeah. hit slap fives at the end of the game and you sit there and you like have this thought in your head, we're like, I got 161 more of these. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. And in minor leagues in particular, I think one of the big things that probably made me feel that disparity was the fact that minor leagues versus the NBA and the Lakers being one of them, like we're staying in Ritz mm-hmm. Carlton's in four seasons. Like, like I was staying at a red roof Inn in, in Burlington, Iowa, uh, right. li- literally before I was out there with UTP. So right. like, I felt like I was in the, the Buckingham palace, man, for real. Right. Uh, you know, we always cleaning snakes out of the drain and, in, in in Mobile, Alabama. I mean, just it's just it's just like that. You don't have the resources. Like it's just you're really kind of you're really like yeah. out there on an island. Um, but you know, like 162 games. Like you'd start you'd start a game. You know, you play, and it would be like okay, our next off day is 36 days from now. Uh, right. And you know, like for for the guys, like it's 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 so tough because. The, the guys are looking at it from like, I need to get to the next level. I need to get promoted. Uh, and you're saying like, dude, your shoulder, you've been, you, you know, you've hit seven innings in the last two days. You're used to, you know, your usual volume is like three uh, and like, it's getting a little funky. Like we want to pull you down and, and take you off the active list for the day. But they're like, I can't end up on the injury report because then I can't get called up to the big leagues. Uh, mm. So, so, so those guys will end up not telling you. Uh, and it gets like, it becomes like a really muddy area. And as a strength coach, it was cool. Cause we were kind of like the in-between where I could do some stuff. So I got my massage license so I could do some stuff to kind of help them, but prevent them from going on the injury list. And it's just like just the total volume of games being in these just absolute horrendous, like horrendous facilities. We're talking like dirt floors in the clubhouse in Clinton, Iowa, <laughs> Clinton, Iowa has the, like the, it's like the Purina dog food capital of the world. And so like during working hours, nine to five during the week, it smells like dog food. And you have a, you have, you have a dirt floor. Everyone's changing on a dirt floor. Uh, and like, you're just out there, there's bugs oh and it's gross. And you're gosh. just like, and then you got to get on the bus and go 12 hours, uh, to the next stop overnight. I mean, that's right. the stuff It's like, it's like the baseball is the best part. Like we love that. Uh, right. It's, it's like everything else that comes around it. But then when I get to the NBA, you know, it's, it's game. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, then next day's practice and, you know, it's, yeah. you know, whatever, that's cool. And, uh, I remember, I remember her lows being like, man, we got this four games in five days. Like, man, this is really grinding out here. And I was like, yo, <laughs> you don't have any idea what a grind is. I'm a first year dude. So I'm just agreeing with them. But in my head, I was like, bro, I was like, imagine going 36 days with the game. You get to the park at 11 AM every day and you're not leaving until 1130 PM midnight, uh, like every single day, oh. the entire summer. So that like, it's that kind of stuff. That's, that's different. Obviously in the big leagues, when the amenities are kind of are very similar to the NBA, it's so it's, sure. yeah, it's much more doable, but in the NBA, like I'm, I'd get back at like 1 PM to my apartment and be like, I remember thinking TD, I remember being like, yo, I gotta make friends out here. I don't know anybody. I was like, I was like, I was going to go down to one of these basketball courts down in uh, uh, Hermosa beach and just be like, hi, I'm Sean. Everyone. And when we want to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh man hit finally you hit easy street oh man yeah. that's crazy um kind of going back to something td mentioned in the first couple of minutes that, that we'll dive into a bit more later despite the grind what are some 
some pathways for success that some of these guys that do end up making it are on in the minor league system, just the way it's set up that they, they don't even recognize anything other than the grind, but it's actually setting themselves up for success in the future and, and to transition and make that jump to the next level or the next level. And then the next level. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the unfortunate things about professional baseball is that the minor league system is gigantic. uh, And, the reality is, is that there's very few people in there that, that matter uh, to the organization. Uh, you know, there'll be a guy who was drafted in the 38th round uh, and he's signed for $1,000 and the organization's not even looking at him. Not, they don't have a care in the world. We had a guy, uh, his name was Mitch Hanniger. He's an MLB all-star right now. Uh, and he was just kind of like a forgotten figure in the organization. And he was like, nobody was really looking at him. And he got like a, he got like a random call up to, to AAA and he just kind of like working his way through. And he ended up just hitting like 700 in like, right. like a 20 game stretch. And it just got, became like to the point where it was like undeniable that they were like, mm. should, should we like bring this guy up? Uh, and, <laughs> and they eventually did. And he's like, he's been in super success in, in the big leagues now, but for the most part, part like wow. these guys get like pegged and identified and like i'll get the list i'll get the list of the guys who who really matter and then and then uh and like these other guys like i'll have to decide at some points like i'm going to work with him and he's got to just go on his own so like wow. to start like there's this like hierarchy of of prospects that matter uh and then you know it's 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 you know in the minors it's such a it's it's tough because you have you have a you have guys who are like hyper talented but don't work that hard. The guys you have guys in the middle who kind of do a little bit of both, and you got to pull their teeth to get them in the weight room. They have good like work habits, and then you got people on the bottom who usually work really hard, but they're always the guys who are, uh, you know, on the on the outs in the organization. And what you find is like the people who have like really good day to day routines. Like Mitch came to me every day with the same stretch on the field before the game, no question. He came in, he did his workouts, not as really the workouts that I really wanted him to do, but he didn't miss. Like he came in, he squatted, mm. he did mm. his deadlifts. Uh, you know, he did his core stuff, little correctives here and there. Uh, and he never missed, ever missed, super consistent. And what happens is like the guys who mix that with talent and are able to manage the load of that 162 game season, keep it super consistent uh, over that, over the course of that amount of time, that's always who, who, who rises to the top in an organization. Every once in a while you have an outlier in those lower tiers, but it's 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 a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, yeah. T- I think I think you're <clears throat> sorry, Phil. I was just going to say, TD. What what do you see there in terms of parallels between now G League, then D League, and your experiences there on that system? Um, just to, what what's that bringing up when Sean's talking there? Maybe some parallels and and some differences. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's what you look at, and if you start from the end, and then we go back to the the entry level person, but the end result or the sort of other end of the spectrum, I should say, is the person that is knocking on the door of the Hall of Fame, literally Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, those players that they all were had very different personalities, very different approaches to work, very different uh, approaches to their craft. But the one thing was exactly what Sean said is they, they didn't miss if it, it wasn't like you had to go babysit them. It wasn't like you had to go remind them like, Hey, come on in. We need, this is why this work is important. It's going to help you all that stuff. They may question what is happening. They may say, I'd rather do it this way. They may have some pushback at times, um, but they weren't going to be 
hiding in the bathroom, hoping, hoping you couldn't find them so that they could skip out on the, the workout. And so, so I think that that is one of the major common denominators. Like Sean said, there's these outliers that some that are just so physically gifted or uber talented at the game that they could miss and, and cheat their way up the system a ways, but then eventually it just gets too, it, it like, look, let's look at Dwight Howard, right? So Dwight is a player that you would think has all the tools and the physical gifts to be able to be a surefire. He was, he was headed for Springfield from the, from the jump and he may very well be a hall of fame player at this point, but he's not going to end up on Mount Rushmore. And I just think that there's these differences of eventually his physical gifts uh, did not outweigh at the very, very top of the top, the, amount of time, the compounding interest that somebody who just goes for a career and just never missing and just doing the the stuff that is fundamental or basic or really monotonous. And eventually that sort of separates people. Really interesting. Sean, as TD's talking there, what are some other things that you started to observe, um, whether it was players or whether it was just within the organization, both at the Yankees and the D-backs, with regard to patterns of success or commonalities around different yeah. people, different backgrounds, but again, some some lines of best fit or some red threads throughout this, sure. this narrative of success. So one of the things, I'm glad you asked that question. It's 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 talk about the alley uh, You know, coming as a journalism degree. I knew I was always going to get questions about that. Like as I tried to climb in the ranks and what I started to notice, like I had no, no like foreknowledge of like what was supposed to happen and what are the good exercises, what's classic, what's taught in school. And I started noticing certain things that like were classic strength and conditioning techniques that I was like, these don't think these are not working. And the thing that always stands out to me is like ankle mobility, ankle mobility exercise. Like you've guys seen it where you just like jam your knee forward up like 10 times, whatever. And we do that stuff all the time mm-hmm. for the classic FMS test. And I was like, I've never in all my time ever seen anybody get more ankle mobility from doing this. I was like, what's going on here? And I just started to like observe these things of like what's going on in these players. And I started trying to find out like, what were the things that actually moved the needle? What made the dent? What was making this guy successful? What wasn't? And ironically in the minor leagues, especially you start to see that like the guys that are super talented, but don't work hard are the guys who are finding success and moving up. But it's the guys who are like always grinding and crushing and like doing everything that I say that end up like getting released at the end of the day. And I was like, well, why is that happening? Like, I don't get like, I'm over here saying like, you've got to do all this. And then the guys who don't do it are the guys who end up on sports center, like making these plays. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, what's the difference here? Like, like, if you know, like existentially, I'm like, do I matter? Right. Uh, and like, I'm looking at these things and I, that's when I started to look at the brain because I started to like do these like, like uh, manual tests on guys and posture exams. And what I was noticing was that the guys who were like really loose and free and would absolutely, you know, flip me the bird and say, I'm not doing this exercise. Uh, those guys were always like, like really like posturally outstanding. Like all their diaphragms were like really lining up, lining up really well. They had more hamstring, more glute than anybody else. My brother's the perfect example. My brother played in the big leagues. He threw 102 miles an hour and he hates working out. He plays video games. He's actually out there playing video games right now. Uh, and, <laughs> As we speak. And, yeah. And like, but in, 
he just was a, like his, all his tests were incredible. Uh, and what I started to realize was that like just certain things were happening inside of their brains. And as you get up like TD, like in the NBA, like I look at, I look at the guys that like, we were working with and I'm like, this is a funky bunch of dudes here. You know what I mean? Like, wrong. <laughs> like they got their work in, and, you know, like sometimes the stuff I say makes it seem like, like people aren't like working hard. It's not that they're not doing their work, but it's, they're doing it different than I had ever anticipated. Uh, you know, as a kid, I always thought I was going to be like grind, grind, grind. Like these guys would be in there doing two ball dribbling, looking this way, look at this way, tennis ball, tennis ball, tennis ball. And it just wasn't that at all. And what it came down to as I just, I go aggressively into neuroscience. What I found was that it came down to their perceived, their perception of threat in the environment that they are in. Like they mm. all have the talent. Uh, they all have the ability to, you know, perform at that level at the NBA. Like, are you going to get, I, I, in my seminars, I use Brandon Ingram as an example all the time. Mm-hmm. Six foot eight, six foot nine, runs like a deer, jumps 40 inches in the air. It's like, I'm not, it's going to be so difficult. It's going to be so much work that I have to do for this person to get him to jump 41 inches in the air. I was like, mm-hmm. there has to be an easier way for me to get in, uh, in an improvement in this person. And what I was realizing was that this perceived threat inside of the brain it's like a key. Like you can have all of this talent inside of you, but if your brain perceives threat in the environment, it, it, it closes you. It does not give you access to your, to your explosiveness, your quickness, it, your, you know, free thought on the, on the quarter, on the field. And it eliminates the ability for you quite literally for you to have access to your talent. You'd be really talented. You see guys who are awesome in practice, but terrible in the game. It's because this perceived threat in the game situation. And the higher I got in, in professional sports, the less I, the less I could see perceived threat on these guys. Uh, and those ended up being the things that then when you, bring the other stuff into it, like hard work, focus, film study. That's when it really becomes insane. Uh, and so for me, I just dove headfirst into neuroscience because I saw this was making the biggest difference. I could keep them consistent over the course of the 162 game season or an 82 game season uh, and allow them to be at their best longer versus trying to give them marginal increases who are already at the peak of human capacity anyway. So for example, uh, Paint a traditional, uh, maybe you want to call it old school or standard kind of approach in an NBA weight room and then paint an approach that maybe you would take to be able to optimize or tap into that aspect of how would you ever, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how would you uh, in a, as a strength coach, yeah. for instance, be able to have an impact on their neurology, their software, if you will, versus just their hardware as often it gets thought of. Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing in, in pro sports and the NBA was relationships uh, and Mm. building that bond with somebody. And look, I think that the classic workout is going to be the usual, right? Squat, deadlift, split squat, dead bugs, that whole thing. The, the brain, like we're not, like I, I, there's not much I can do inside of the weight room. Like, I think there's a thing where it's like, I feel like I've got my work in. I feel like, I don't know this, but I feel like Kobe was probably that guy where he's like, like the reps and getting the volume of doing that made him feel like a monster. Uh, and that contributed yeah. to his like mama mentality on the core. Is that fair to say? I don't know. I've never met the guy. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, he would say to me, look, I just know I've done triple the amount of anybody that's even close to me. And it just, I'm I'm just, I already know that I haven't beat right. because of it. And that's something he decided. It wasn't that he had the exact metrics on it. He yeah. painted this picture where he figured there's no way somebody else is out doing the 6 a.m., the noon, and the 6 p.m. workouts. I did all right. three. And then I got up at 2 a.m. And, and did some more push-ups. So <laughs> in his mind, there was this sort of landslide of he had just done more reps. Like you said, it was the yeah. reps that he assumed that he had done so far in advance, uh, so far above anybody else that gave him that sort of, I'm, I'm a monster and I can't be touched. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things like for, for, from the neuroscience perspective, it's, it's about like keeping them loose, uh, per, like having a, a good relationship, mm. having like a, a fun environment, because if like you're, if like they come into the weight room and they hate being in the weight room, uh, they're like, they're that, that key gets locked. And now like they'll, their hamstrings won't be as flexible because they're quite literally in an extended pattern. And what I always try to do in the weight room is like, like if you, if you're, if you have perceived threat in the environment, you go fight or flight. So ribs come up, pelvis comes forward. Uh, but what I found is that you can actually like hedge against that. So if my hamstrings are like crazy strong, when I, like my body will physically be resisting getting into that extension fight or flight pattern, uh, as those moments are coming. So, so like we would do things like they would ta uh, target hamstrings and obliques aggressively. Uh, but the biggest bang for your buck is always recovery. It's always, you know, it's like really like detailed understanding the brain. What the one, the one that I always pops into my brain is the vagus nerve. Uh, and the mm -hmm. vagus nerve is in charge of the social engagement system. So for example, uh, Julius, Julius Randall was one of our guys. Like he was yes. like really awesome. Came in every day. He was a fun guy to be around. He was going to make us do that ridiculous hill thing. Thank God that never happened. Uh, and, <laughs> and like, it was just a cool guy. But like, if he came in one day and he's a little quiet, he's a little like, just kind of, it's not himself. Like we have that, we have that ability as a human to recognize that. And the vagus nerve controls the facial expressions and it controls uh, your social engagement system. So what I'm getting there is likely not like, a, you know, like just, he's just different today. What I'm probably getting there is some sort of vagal tone. I'm probably mm. getting that there's something going on underneath the surface uh, that I can't see, or I can't tell that is making you act that way. Uh, and so in that instance, like that's like an HRV test, it's a readiness test. And I can see that and say like, man, his load on top of that so that his central nervous system is firing well when he when he has to have it firing well uh you know come come game time the next night so what i for me it's always been about like really having a strong understanding of the scope of what's happening here hedging against it in the weight room and then providing a really awesome environment for guys to feel confident enjoy being in the weight room uh, you know, when, you know, that was a hallmark for us was, you know, making this a place where people wanted to come rewarding place for them to be enjoyable. Uh, and when you do those things, you, the, there's no perceived threat. And then when they get out into the court, you know, that's a little bit of a different animal with 20,000 people in the stands. Uh, and you yeah. know, it's, it's tough. It, it, it is honestly tough for somebody. You get somebody who's 22 years old, it's been 20 through 22 years of life experience to really manipulate and neurology if you get the younger you get them the easier it is right and you but you brought that in to you introduced that to me and i was just <clears throat> like you said i i was able to maybe bring to the surface for you some of the importance of focus on some of the hardware and some of the just 
carpentry of, look, these are some of the load bearing tendons. We can't ignore those. We can't just do maybe some software stuff. If we want to just, it's probably an oversimplification for me to be saying hardware software, but neuro, neuro, neuro versus kind of the muscles and tendons, let's just call it. So the musculoskeletal system versus the neuromuscular. And so, um, but so maybe I brought some of that hardware stuff to the surface for you of that, that you get it. Like that could be pretty helpful, pretty useful. And to have loaded the Achilles tendon, the hamstrings, those adductors and those tendons and ligaments and muscles that are load bearing for a basketball athlete. But then you brought to the surface big time for me, stuff like to, to really give listeners an idea of, of uh, not only your ability to have rapport and this kind of decreased threat relationship with, because that happens in strength in conditioning where it's, it's sort of this, especially in college settings, but where the strength coach's role almost is to be the governor of the situation. And it's the, the hard a who's just, you know, that's the, the expectation they're, they're screaming and yelling all the time. And it's, it's always this sort of, like you said, fight or flight, it's a fight based interaction almost half or, or if not more of the time in a lot of those environments. And that's just kind of part of the culture, but it's also, um, to your ability to kind of bring in this decreased threat uh, relationship environment and easygoing and then literally reading people's vagus nerve with in terms of that's what you were doing come to find out but but not necessarily doing it in any way that people would know you're just being a chill dude that they look forward to had no threat uh, feeling of, but also to give listeners some input insight into what it looks like in a weight room session when you get to kind of play around with that. Because what you brought to the surface for me were things like the, and I'll have you talk us through it, the ball roll, one leg RDL, like we roll, you roll a ball to them. They have to bend over on one leg and, and, and try to catch it with their eyes closed or, or I'll let you talk us through why that was something that you introduced or not just because, Oh, it's harder balance for somebody to try to close their eyes and catch a ball. But, um, you brought in flexion versus the, and you talked about this, this sort of fight versus flight posture of people when you can tell their chest is puffed and their erector spinae muscles of their back are just really on toned and, uh, you know, really on, on fire. And they're like puffing their chest out. You kind of picture that athlete who's like, walking through the the weight room or the locker room and they're all kind of puffed out and it's cocky looking as they're walking and that sometimes gets thought of as oh that's their swagger but what you're trying to say as i'm hearing it is that's not necessarily the case that could be this fight moment of of how their body is 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 dealing with all the stuff going on that may not be good for them to be in all the time so you brought in this idea of like let's do the crouched breathing strategies where let's get into flexion let's round that low back out and that spine out tell us why tell us about some of those drills like specifically breathing the crouched breathing the the tennis ball uh one leg eyes closed deal and what you were getting at with those things versus just this looks like a cool thing that would get a bunch of clicks on on Instagram because it would do that too. <laughs> well, ask Avisa Zubas and he will tell you none of it is cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, for the, the, the flexion stuff, you know, 
rightfully so strength and conditioning like this, like extension ribs, you know, shoulders back ribs up like that is power and it is power. Uh, but what happens is, is over time when you just do that repeatedly over and over again, you, you kind of get stuck there, right? That's just the nature of the game, like mm. you build the tissue and you get there. And, uh, the way that explosiveness works in the body is it's like a rubber band, right? So it's like, you know, you start at neutral and then it's just like, boom, you, you know, you, you can snap into it. Right. But the problem is like, mm. let's say you have zero to 10 in terms of uh, extension power. If you start here, you're starting at like eight. So while you have, mm. might have all of this power, you can only go from eight, nine, 10, as opposed to starting at zero. But when you start neutrally, you get all, you know, you get your, you know, your pelvic diaphragm lined with your thoracic diaphragm. Uh, you get this like really good pumping mechanism with your, you know, with, with your core and your ribs and your hamstrings and your glutes, you have way more access to everything else. So we're really just trying to do is balance it out. I never not, I never, it's not like people, you know, think that uh, we're trying to get them to be flex. I'm not, I'm just trying to split the difference and get them back to neutral because they spend mm. so much time uh, in flexion. Uh, so that was, that was the genesis behind all of that. And then you talk about so the, much time in extension. Yeah. So much time in a, Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Okay. Exactly. So all we were trying to do was just, you know, get them back to zero so that they had full right. access to their power. Now, so from an, about, sorry, sorry, this is fascinating. So from an anecdotal standpoint, from just the eye test standpoint, is this the pitcher who you say, I don't know what it is. He just has a whip. Like it, it just looks like easy versus the player that is always like bearing yes. down and, and putting everything into everything. And it looks like yes. it's so hard for that person and they yes. perform very well, but it's, it's like all their might to do it. A hundred percent. It's funny. Man. Same with Baseball. basketball. It's like the bouncy, yeah. the guy that's like super bouncy, super easy. And then yeah. the guy that's like, looks like they're trying to run through a brick wall all the time. Yes. Yeah, so you get the guy who's just like, I don't know what to tell you, man. My chin just gets above the rim. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> right. You know, like whatever. I just, how do you do that? I just jump and I do it. Uh, in right, baseball, right. all these guys who would like be like, yeah, like these guys throwing like 86 miles an hour. And then you get a guy, right. like, this guy barely throws. You look at the gun. It's like one Oh two. You're like, Oh my God. God. Yeah, they, <laughs> right. just, they just they just have everything functioning. Baseball is a really cool one. Golf is really good too. If you watch like slow mos of the frames, you'll be able to see them. Like a baseball pitcher will stand tall on one right on his right foot, and then be able to transition all the way to completely over on his left foot, transferring from one right from right stance to left stance. And and somebody. So what an you're saying is that yeah. yeah go 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 go. So somebody who's an extension, an extension yeah. at that point is not going to be able. They're 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 stuck. You can't. You're in neither yeah. stance. So you're, there's no transfer of power. There is no power. Uh, so these guys who are like giving it everything they've got, uh, they are, they, they've got nothing, uh, ironic. Yeah. Their rubber uh, band was already taught. Their, their rubber band precisely. was already taught before this other group that you just can't figure out how they do it and make it look so easy. They're able to go to a almost slack state to almost zero on the rubber band right. to then get the windup and the momentum yeah. that gets created going yeah. one to 10 is a lot more and a lot more efficient than yeah. the one that starts at seven and, and tries to go to 10. Yep. 100%. Amazing. They, they're, they're able to access all of their power uh, as opposed to the person That's who you know, has it, but can't use it. Wow. That is really cool. So talk us uh, specifically, take us through the, the ball one. I remember you doing yeah. the ball um, exercise with Brandon Ingram, paint the picture of how you do that and, and what you're getting at um, by tapping into eyes closed and whatnot. 
Right. So here, the, be- the best tie-in is we look at that. We look at the guys who are already in that extension pattern. So the natural thought is, how do I get out of that extension pattern? Well, the typical mm. strength coach is going to say, okay, look, hamstrings, we're going to tighten them. You know, obliques, we're going to tighten them. Like I'm going to look at the mechanical things that I can see yes. here. Uh, and I'm just going to attack the, the imbalance. Well, what I found was that it doesn't work, right? Because the, the brain holds the master key. If the brain says you're not getting it, then you're not getting it under any circumstance. You're not going to overpower the brain. It's, it's the king of the castle. So mm. what I found was that if I can't like what I started doing, I started doing this test uh, in baseball uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll tell you one of my favorite baseball stories of all time. Uh, we had this guy who came into me one day and all he was super extension based guy. Uh, and uh, like he just couldn't he couldn't get it. He used to be a really good player. He started to be like really fall off. He was about to get released. Uh, and he came into me one day and he said, like, my I, I keep clenching my jaw at night. Now, we go down a rabbit hole with that, but I know that's neuro. I, I understand. I know what clenching your jaw, you know, like grinding your teeth at night is. So I, on mm. the spot, I made I made up an exercise for him tested him first, really stiff, immobile. Like all his joints were really tight. Classic strength coach is going to give him like pails and rails and capsule stretching. I said, let me try something. So I gave him a sawed off broomstick and I told him to walk through the weight room, like pretending like he was a blind person. Uh, And I threw like foam rollers and med balls throughout the weight room. And he went through the weight room, like literally like a blind person down and back, took him a long time to do it, came back to the table. He was completely like a hundred percent flexible, like max flexibility on everything. Matt, like his posture was instantly changed. And what it showed me was that it's not the capsule. It's not the, it's not the, it's yeah. not the fascia. It's not the length of these things. That is the problem. It's that the brain is saying, I got threatened my environment. I have to, I can't do anything and I won't let you do anything until I've eliminated that threat. So what I became good at was eliminating that threat with the, mm. with the, uh, with the, uh, with Brandon and, and those, and those exercises, I studied the visual system a lot. And what I found was anytime you're focusing on something that is your, your eyes telling your brain that we're focusing on a threat, whether you like it or not, that's just, this is how the brain perceives it. So if I look at my phone all the time, I know with 100% certainty that while you're looking at that phone, your brain is perceiving a threat and you want to add the blue light on top of it be my guest. So he came, comes in one day and he's, you know, complaining of, of whatever it was. And I had remembered, you know, going to the bathroom on the team plane and I was like, somebody's in the bathroom. So I'm just kind of chilling there. And I see him like, you know, for hours on these plane rides. Folded over scrolling on his phone. Yeah. So in my head, I was just like, all right, like where can I find some low hanging fruit here? I know how dominant the visual system is in the brain. It has an extra layer in the neocortex. It's just the thing. It's the ultimate compensator. And I remember he also had trouble, uh, just, just bending down and touching his toe with his eyes closed. So I knew Mm -hmm. his visual system was way oversold. Mm-hmm. So I knew, so what I try, so we say, get on one, one leg, destabilize, right? So now we put you in a position to find your stability muscles. And by rolling the ball at him from various directions, he couldn't focus on something. A lot of, you know, your PE teacher in third grade says, stand on one leg, focus on this spot on the ground Well, you're training this visual focus. And now you're stabilizing with your eyes and not your, you know, your 
your, your calves or your gastrox or, you know, whatever it is, like you're stabilizing with the wrong thing. So I was just trying to unlock that for him so that he could find those other muscles that he was supposed to find. And as soon as we start rolling, he starts to wobble. And I love the, he hates the wobble. I love the wobble. Right. I know, I know he's going to find those new, those muscles that he's supposed to find. Uh, and now we can retrain his system to not use, no longer use his eyes to, to, you know, be his source of stability. Uh, so now when he's out on the court, he has more action. When he's at home, like he can recover more uh, because now his eyes aren't the sole for- source of his stability. When people close their eyes at night and their eyes are their sole source of stability, well, you better find another way to close your body. <laughs> your body's not going to be stable. And that's why people grind their teeth. So the eye, that's, uh, that's incredible. So the eyes were the crutch that he was compensating with and, and, and making up for, and then using some of the wrong things for the, the wrong things. Basically you were finding a way to take that crutch out, make you use the pieces. And then from that, you get the extension compensators that put, pull you back into that extension all the time and keep you there all the time of the seven, eight, nine, 10 on the elastic that you, if you stay there all the time, you can never tap into the earlier numbers on that power meter and you shut them off versus saying we're going to just strengthen your, the opposite muscles, or we're going to do more things that make you do more extension and hope that it somehow works and that kind of thing. Um, almost like a cheat code. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's literally what it was. And, and I, I'm grateful for having my journalism background there because you used to go, you just, TD, you've been to these seminars where they go up and do the table test in front of everybody. They're like, wow, look at this immediate change. I yeah. go back to my, I go back to my, my guys. I'm like, there ain't nothing happening, my man. Uh, <laughs> and, and I just had to, I was like, I got to find the thing. Otherwise I, I'm not going to like, I, I'm not going to make it. I'll always be weighed down by my journalism degree. So I just was searching for the thing that, that actually worked. <laughs> It's really Incredible. interesting. So we just talked about an example that you were able to do off court in the weight room, but earlier on you mentioned someone gets in the arena, maybe a 22-year-old, and yeah. for every one of those years they've been on the planet, there's a thousand screaming fans now, um, half of whom or more may hate them, <laughs> depending on whether it's home or away. <laughs> so now we're in another threatening environment or a high-pressure environment so was there anything that you were able to do or suggest once the heat is on, it's game day, it's yeah. game time? Yeah. So like you said, like the, 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 the easiest thing is like the, like having the dominoes fall in your favor, uh, you know, as you, uh, you know, as you g- grow up and as the brain is forming. So those things get fused the right way. And you see that with a lot of the guys and, uh, you know, who get to those levels where, you know, just things happen. They're freaks, of course, but you know, there's a lot of freaks out there who the dominoes didn't fall. Right. Or this, you know, it just, it just didn't work for them. So having the dominoes fall, right. That's, that's first and foremost. But then when you get to that level and you're saying like, okay, well, how can I, how can I perceive this threat differently? I, I use my brother as an example. Again, he goes out, he played for the Red Sox. He goes out Fenway park for 45,000, 50,000 people pepper in the glove, right? Like, boom. I can't do that. I'd throw the ball into the dugout. Like I, I would be completely <laughs> rattled. Uh, and like, that would just like my, when I'm out there, I'm like, Oh my God, all these people are watching. Like, Oh my God, like these girls are out here. My girlfriend's watching. My <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, and he, he told me one time he was out on the mound thinking of Sal Volcano from impractical jokers and this like cool thing he was doing in the big leagues. I'm like, this guy, like, get out of this, you know? Uh, and so like, 
so like, I'm like something happened neurologically for him to perceive that environment as non-threatening. And for me to be like, this is such a big deal, you know? Mm. Uh, so once you get there, if you, if you like have that, like I'm a good practice player, but I get nervous in these games and I'm like, I get nervous shooting the ball and stuff like that. I know I can make it, but I can't do it. What you have to do, there's really only one option and it's, you have to tune up the frontal lobe of your brain. But the frontal lobe of your brain is, is conditioning is, is designed to do is it's to quiet all the other circuits in the brain that pop up. So if you, if you sit down, you close your eyes and you start thinking and you're like, I'm going to clear my mind. People, people say this all the time, Sean, I can meditate. All right. So you close your eyes, you sit there for a second. And you're like, I'm going to clear my head. I'm going to clear my head, clear my head. Then you're like, I'm going to have pasta for dinner tonight. And then two seconds later, you're like, I don't like shrimp. Oh, shrimp is in the sea. Uh, maybe I'll go down to the beach. And then it's like the beach. Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go here. And then I'm going to go down to this you know, quesadilla shop. And then I'm going to go work out. And the next thing you know, you're thinking about like the most random thing in the world. And then you're like, oh my God, I have to clear my head. And then you go back and then you start this whole thing over again. Well, all those circuits are happening, you know, in your neocortex throughout your brain, your, the neo, the frontal lobe is designed to shut those off. Right. And what most people have is a completely unfunctioning frontal lobe that does not do that even a little bit. And it's aggressively happening because of social media. Wow. Uh, you know, you go from, you go from, you know, TD's awesome post to my God knows <laughs> what I'm talking about to, you know, an ad about something. And you're just like circuit, circuit, circuit. And you're just conditioning yourself to be all over the place. And the way that a human being learns the way that the brain learns, you think about a net. Uh, and in that net, you have like all of these things that are technically can the, you know, the net part of the wiring up here and the wiring down here are technically connected. So if I say the way that a person learns is if I tell you, uh, you know, that, I don't know, ATP is, you know, the energy source of the body. It's like food for the cell. That's associative learning. So now you think, you think ATP, you think food. Next thing you're doing is you're thinking about the shrimp pasta. You're thinking about the next thing. And like the whole neural circuit will light up. When you think of ATP, everything underneath that lights up. And it's the reason that you just go all over the place when you start thinking and you're like, how the heck am I on this thing? So what the frontal lobe does is it, it will program your brain. You can identify like, what's the thing that you want to be thinking about. So if I say, if I'm on the court and I think about like, I just want to think about like being happy. Let's just, let's just say that's the thing you want to think. That's the thing when you're shooting, I always make it if I'm happy, if I'm feeling good. So if you just constantly like repeat happy things in your thoughts, keep like bringing that to your attention. Like they talk about affirmations and stuff like that. This isn't woo woo stuff. This is biology. This is neuroscience. This programs the reticular activating system inside of your brain to tell, to intentionally tell your brain what is important and what I should be focusing on. And the more I bring that to my awareness, the more the frontal lobe is going to say, shut the hell up back here. Okay. These is, this is the thing that's most important. If you've ever bought a car and all of a sudden you now see that car all over the place, it's because you're, you have now programmed the reticular activating system, the frontal lobe of your brain to say, this thing is important. Now it brings it to your awareness. Those cars were always there, but now you notice it. So the more you repeat something, the more you like bring this into your world, curate your environment to get that stimulus all the time, the more your frontal lobe will say that's important and will shut everything else off because you have the this is now the loudest voice inside of your brain. So is this, is this why the, to put it really in elementary terms, is this why you see the player who just doesn't seem to give a shit do really well yes. in those spots? Yes. yes. Bar none. Bar none. Like unequivocally, that is, the, that is exactly what happens. Wow. So, uh, 
in what you're saying is you can go through this practice to, and, and I know you've, because we've had so many great conversations about this, you've detailed your kind of process as a player is you cared so much that you couldn't, you couldn't shut that off. You couldn't not, you couldn't get to the point where you're just letting it flow, letting it go free because you were just so hyper-focused on, is it right? Is everything this? Am I in and you're going through that over and over and over again versus just letting it flow and almost letting yourself get to the, because I think a lot of people you brought up, you know, Sean, I can't meditate or that kind of thing. But when in the practice of mindfulness at the very sort of fingernail that I've understood it at and, and practice it myself, there's this early stage process that people go through where it's like, Oh, I just failed at it. Like my mind started going everywhere and you're fighting that because you're like, no, no, I'm supposed to be in, yeah. in like a gray, I'm supposed to be focusing on nothing right now, yeah. but I'm focusing on the banana bread I had yesterday. And I'm thinking about what I have to pick up at the grocery store tomorrow. Sure. And I just failed that whole mindfulness session. But that is mindfulness is letting yourself be in those spots and letting those things happen. Yeah. You know, for me, I try to get out of that mindful. I think there is value in just being clear-minded, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, but what I call it, and with the people we work with, we call it, we call it neural reconstruction. Mm. Because what we try to, we're trying to show them that like those thoughts, those like things that are happening, uh, these are all just connections that are existing inside your brain. Like when, if like guys, the, the, the first person to ever get pulled over for speeding was uh, clocked at seven miles an hour. Okay. So like you guys are like, what a stupid fact that was, but that just, when I said that, like that connector, like a a new neural connection was formed uh, Mm. inside of your brain. Now, if I wanted to, like, if you were like, if you were like, Oh my God, that was amazing. And they're like, I can't believe I got to research this. And you've researched like, this is the most amazing fact I've ever seen. I got to write a book on this thing. Start writing a book about it. Now you're going to like, I'm going to make a blog about it. Your Twitter account's going to be dedicated to it. I'm going to go on this national speaking tour talking about this incredible (laughs) fact. The more you do that, the brain's like, okay, all right, weirdo. Like if this is the thing you're going to focus on, we're going to myelinate that pathway. So it builds this fatty sheath around the, around the neuron because you've promoted it so much. And now you've got this super highway connection that speeds this conduction straight across anytime you want to do it. So now it's the path of least resistance. So when I wake up in the morning, I got nothing to do. The first thing I'm thinking about is this fact, because it's the most, it's the most, you know, prioritized neuron in my world. So when I start teaching people, like, this is how this, these connections exist. Like if you, if you're nervous on the free throw line of the game, like I would have 40 something percent from the line, I'll go out in front of with in front of nobody and drill 10 in a row. Like it was nothing. Uh, mm. But in front of all these people with the magnitude of the game, like I felt that pressure and my, everything was blocked off. Well, those things are just those simple connections inside of the brain. So what I tell somebody is like, look, if you want to, if you want to be focused, that's connections in your brain. What do you want to focus on? Just pick anything, pick anything you want. Okay. Now we have that. Now we'll go through the process of myelinating, myelinating that neuron, tuning up the frontal lobe, tuning up the reticular activating system to prioritize that in the brain. And eventually the scales tip where it's the, it's the top thing on your mind. So you stand in front of the, you stand in front of the, you know, on the free throw line in front of everybody else. And you're not like your brain just is going to go for whatever's the easiest route to go for in this situation based on the input that it's getting. And if you've already given it the input, you can choose whatever you want to focus on, focus on cheeseburgers while you're at the free throw line. I'll show you how to do it. Uh, but once you understand the the biology of it and how these things work and how it connects and how the operations go inside of the brain, you know, the world is your oyster. You, you can do anything with it and literally anything as stupid as you want or as important as you want. 
That's amazing. Talk about um, a term that you've used, I've seen you use before, auto-suggestion, and where, where that mm. fits into this. So auto-suggestion is kind of a, a hippy-dippy woo-woo term that uh, I've picked up from Napoleon Hill, who's like a old-school 1800s, think-and-grow-rich, you know, self-help writer. Uh, I, I try to stay away from it. That's why I go to neural reconstruction. Auto-suggestion is just like repeating something over and over and over to uh, over and over and over again to yourself. It's it's the act of, you can call it affirmations, you can call it repetition, you can call it whatever you want, but it's just, for me, like I am, my mission, I can't, I can't just say like, you know, sense, you know, manifest this into the world and, and repeat it over and over to your mind. Like to me, it has to, you have to know why you're doing it. Otherwise, I don't think you're going to continue to do it. So it's, it's, it's repetition. It is having like a goal, you know, whatever it is that you want to focus on having that as your phone background. It's about having like a, uh, you know, a, a, a note card in your pocket that has your goal on it. And when you sit down, you, you reach in your pocket for something, you got you, you know, you feel it. That's going to trigger the same network inside of the brain, setting up your environment to constantly feed you that stimulus. Uh, so it's really the repetition of it. It is building, you know, we talk about muscle memory a lot, but this is, you know, neural memory, neuron, neuro, you know, neural connection memory for you to just be able to get it over and over and over again. And uh, it's, it's, it's truly simple repetition. It is the equivalent of hypertrophying or, as you said, myelinating the neural pathways of the aspect of, of what you're repeating. Yeah. I mean, period. It is. And it actually is hypertrophy. Like you actually describe, you describe myelinating. What do we mean by that? So, and any neural connection, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, it's just like a, it's like a long line. It's like a highway with neural, you know, synapses on the end. Uh, and basically just picture like a long wire. That's probably the best way. Stupid. What the hell was my description there before? It's like a wire. <laughs> right. So it's like this wire. Uh, and myelin is just like fat that just, they put on it. The, the brain will just start laying it around that, around that wire, like a tube. Uh, and the, pur the purpose of the myelin is to make the conduction, the electrical signal go faster through it because they're saying like, this is the thing that you need the most. Like, uh, like, I play basketball and I, you know, I, I know my shot. It happens the same way every single time. I don't have to think about it because when I, you know, I get that ball, like I just go right to that myelinated pathways. I've done so many reps on it. It's, it's really, really mm. myelinated. Um, so when you, when it's a really fast conduction, I, I think of it like a super highway versus like a dirt road. Uh, you know, if you have like, the super highway is the thing that you, the bad habit that you're trying to kick. It's, you know, it's the path of least resistance for the brain. Uh, but if you say like, you know, I, you know, I want to, I need to tuck my elbow in a little bit more when I shoot. Well, that's the dirt road when you make that, when you first make that connection. And eventually you got to make that road more appealing to the electrical signal than that road takes some time, but eventually the scales tip. And now you become the path of least resistance. It's it's and and it really comes down to the stuff that we all talk about: consistency, showing up every day, doing the right things. You just have to. You just it's just different things. I always tell people, you, we're, "We're yeah, I'm going to show you the steps on how to get to where you want to be. It's just not the steps that you thought I was going to show you." Well, I think of Steph Curry, right? If we wanted to kind of put what you just said into what happens if you put it all together, as you just said, if you, mm -hmm. if you are the person that never misses and you are dotting your I's and crossing your T's on all the things and you care a lot, but you also can know when to toggle on and off the, the care meter in different environments. 
It's why Steph in the finals can shoot a three that could win the NBA finals and turn around before it even has reached the rim in something that I wouldn't even dare to do in a pickup game uh, (laughs) that he has that ability. And he also has this ability to literally have so much myelin and bet around surrounding those encapsulating those neural pathways, because he's just taken more reps than anybody else in that way, in that shape, in that form that it is just, it is just autopilot for him. Like it just, once the cascade of the movement starts, it just like his body can't not do it. Yep. I was, uh, I, uh, when I was in college, one of our, one of our college coaches was best friends with Ray Allen and Ray Mm. Allen would come up and, and he would like, he would hoop with us every once in a while. And I was just like, I was just enamored by him at the time. He was the all time leading three point shooter. And I was just like, I was trying to like figure like, you know, get inside of his brain. And like, we would like chat a little bit. And one time I asked him, I was like, right. When you shoot the ball, like, do you ever, like, do you ever think like, like this isn't going in? He like, he was like, absolutely not. He's like, every time I shoot the ball, I, I don't think it's going to go. I'm a hundred percent positive. It's going to go in. I, the whole time I'm on the court, I'm thinking if I can just get the ball out of my hands, it's going to go in the hoop and like talk about coming full circle. It was like the next year where he hit that shot for Miami, where he just like, he just got it out of his hands. Like, it's just like in a split second, just give me the ball, boom, pop it out of my hands. And I'm like, like, to me, I was just like, there, there's something about your brain that is different than my brain because I'm against Cornell, you know, bricking free throws and you're out here <laughs> against the Celtics, like drilling, like fade away, back up threes. Like something's different. Like I know I can make those shots, not like that, but like, I know that I'm capable of these shots, but what's, what's different about the way that you're doing it versus the way that I am. And every time I searched, every time I looked, it was always something happening in here. And eventually I said, I got to figure out what's going on in there. Yeah. It's really Kudos to you, sir. Um, something else I found fascinating that you've you've posted about and written about and talked about is making focus your default rather than what you said the social media infinite scroll brain yeah you know and, and just you know put different parts of the brain stem on which levels we reach or don't reach and just another way to condition so what are some ways you know based on, on what we've already talked about where someone can start to make on the court or just in life in business whatever it is in family life being more present start to make yeah. focus the default more so than the alternative yeah so at some point you have to manually turn off the switches uh, hmm. you know there's a lot of outside noise happening. A lot of people, like I go on Twitter and everyone's just telling me what to do. That's just what Twitter is. Like everyone's just telling me what to do. I, you see the same thing. It's like you, in order to have success in life, you must do this. Right. And everyone's like one guy saying this, another guy saying the complete opposite thing. And it's like, what the hell do I do? At some point you have to turn those switches off. Like we all have like our unique gifts. We all have our unique talents. Like we all have a a special road to, to travel. Great story on that was, uh, my brother was playing uh, in pro baseball. I was in the minor leagues with the Red Sox, and he has the his his you know hitting coach was a nobody. Uh, and one day, a young fella comes through his system. He gives the same crappy advice to everybody. He gives the same crappy advice to this one kid. Goes on to be the best player in Major League Baseball. It was Mookie Betts. Uh, and now this guy telling the same crappy advice to still everybody, but he's like, now this is what Mookie Betts did to to hit that next level. Everyone's just telling you the thing that worked for them. And at some point, you got to realize that there's value in a lot of this, but I don't need any more information to 
to get to where, wherever it is that I want. I've got all the information I need. I don't need to read any more books. I don't need to take more courses. I don't need to follow any more people on social media. I've got, it. I've got the information. Mm. So at that point, when, when, if you're aware enough to make that call, you've got to, you've got to turn off the faucets. You can't, you can't, you got you have to be a producer of information and no longer a consumer of information, period. It has to happen. The next thing you got to do with 100% certainty is you have to, if you have, you have to find your thing. Uh, if, if you don't like basketball, probably not going to work for you. If you mm. don't love running a business or whatever your mission in, in your business is, it's not, you'll always be like in, intrinsically moved to that next thing. So like, even when I hire staff, I was just on a call earlier today with somebody I'm trying to you know work with to potentially become one of our salespeople. And I said to him, look, if I need to know from you what you really want to do, don't, you know, don't BS me and tell me you want to be, you know, grow in this company and stay here forever. If you want to go to this company over here, that's great. I want to help you get there. I want this to be a ladder to wherever it is that you want to go. And I'll work on the systems to bring in the next guy after you so that I can train him to be just as good and then move them on. But if you're the whole time you're, you know, behind my back trying to apply for jobs over here, I'm not going to get everything that I need out of you. Uh, so, you know, productivity and performance, you got to turn the faucets off and you have to, uh, it has to be like what you really genuinely enjoy and want to do. So we'd have to find that that's hard for a lot of people to figure out what it is that it, that like really drives them and, uh, and, 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 and motivates them intrinsically every single day. And then the last thing is we go through that neuroscience, man. We, we, we figure out what it is that you need to be focused on. Do you need to be focused on uh, selling this thing? Do you need to be focused on producing this webinar? That's going to be your conversion vehicle to sell. Do you need to be focused on, uh, you know, if your follow through a full follow through on the court, like whatever it is, you just choose, you pick that you get to decide, and then you've got to set up a plan and consistently follow that plan over and over and over and over and over again. And what I found is that pretty much any plan will work. If you've met the other two criteria, it may not be the best plan in the world. It may not work to the fullest, the maximum extent, but pretty much anybody who sticks to any plan whatsoever, it works. Uh, so if you follow those steps, like that's, those are usually fail proof. Uh, and the challenge is, is getting people to stay consistent. The challenge is getting somebody to search their soul enough to really tell me what it is that, that it is that you want to do. Uh, and it, you know, that's, that's leadership, that's developing the relationships, that's being authentic and, and, you know, vulnerable with somebody else. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's so many caveats to it, but you know, I think those are the main things. This is the thing that you and I saw when we worked with those elite athletes that people think they were just either born with a gift and they just had something that you'll never have, or there's no way you can get that, or this is them and, and you're here and, and that's, this is as far as you go is right. But when you look at what they did, they just, it wasn't that they all had the same plan. They all didn't go the Steph Curry plan. They all didn't go the Steve Nash way of shooting or they didn't all, but they, they all were very different as far as what their plan was, but they just, trusted the plan they were in the place that was their mission on this earth and they just kept on putting pennies into the piggy bank over and over and over and over again until it became automatic until it became so dominant as to how and automatic as to what they were doing that they end up making it look effort effortless they end up making it look but it wasn't that way from the beginning for them it was there was moments of having to change their shot or there was moments of you know what this isn't working we have to maybe adjust the plan and and that kind of thing and it's not always this linear process but it's just that you 
like I loved how you said that because I think in today's world too, a player has to be, and I, I don't know, but I, I didn't have a million Instagram accounts that I could follow to get a million different shooting drills that maybe I should be trying tomorrow. I didn't have, I mean, maybe I got a VHS with some old guy showing me some pivot moves and, <laughs> and, and then I could just go try the pivot moves. I didn't know until I got another VHS with another thing, but it wasn't like being bombarded with a million. Eventually you have to shut off the faucets. Like, look, I've got what I need here. I am going to pick these three things that I've identified. And this is what those great players did. They just began over the years. They tried a bunch of stuff at first. And then they were like, that's not important. That's not important. That's not important. Might work for that person. Doesn't work for me. I don't play like that. I don't need that. But I need these two things. And these things I'm going to do every single day, like clockwork or whatever the plan is, every third day or whatever it is. And I'm not going to miss. And I'm just going to repeat it over and over and over again until it's this compounding interest to be like, how'd that person accumulate so much skill? Well, they just they just stuck to the really, really important things. And they were also really smart to, at some point early on, be able to identify what were those key things for them instead of trying to do everything with all the faucets of information always on. And then what happens there, I think, to your point is you just end up going to try this new information faucet. And then uh, let me, let me try some of this. And then you realize a year later and you haven't ever done that thing that you started with in the beginning of the year that you actually had said, well, that's important to me. Yeah. I always say that strategy uh, at some point strategy becomes a way to off put like put off the responsibility of doing the hard work, Mm, which is consistently showing up. You think that like, if I do this, if I, you know, pull my elbow in just a little bit, I don't have to do the consistency. And that's just a, that's like, that's Charles Darwin, man. That's, that's just a, uh, you know, trying the path of path of least resistance. You're pre-wired to do that. So everybody's out there trying to, you know, release the burden of the hard work of becoming a greater basketball player, becoming a a better, you know, more focused uh, basketball player or somebody who just, puts in the work. You know, I see that all the time in business where somebody's like, if I just, you know, if I do SEO instead of Facebook marketing, maybe that will allow me to not have to become a great entrepreneur. It'll just make me the money and it works 0% of the time. So I say like everything really has the, all these plans can really work. Uh, but you have, you have to do the thing. If you do the thing, you'll get the result. Yeah. yeah and it's this idea of, um, the, the, the F when you become, rewarded by the effort, not by the result. I I think that becomes a big thing is, is, is sort of like when you can train your brain to be rewarded by the effort of whatever results you're headed for and, and not get, feel like I get rewarded or I get this sense of joy when I get the reward of the swish happening. It's like, I don't care what happens once it leaves my hand. I get, I'm getting, uh, yeah. I'm getting 10,000 shots up every day. And well, that's the, the, the reward for you when you truly can say, and part of that is to your point that also gets really easy to do when you have found your passion in life and your mission in life. And you're like, hey, whatever it is, I, I just, I can't picture myself doing anything different than this. And that's easy to do then. But, um, when I think for, for many people, you don't always just find your passion and your mission really early. And, and, you still have to be able to find the reward in the effort instead of the result, even if you haven't quite found your, your mission or your passion. Let me, let me, let me give you a really amazing way to do that. Because even for people who find stuff that they love, like the, the grind is the grind period. This is like, this is like some sick neuroscience here. So 
when you have an experience, so like if I, like if, if I'm like going through my basketball drills in the backyard, like yeah. I remember I used to do these like two, I would do like alternating drill, machine gun dribbling, then I back up a little bit, then I go forward and then I back up a little bit forward. Some guy who played at Rutgers taught me that one. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so like, I hate it though, but I was like, I just got to do that. And I didn't like, I didn't find that like a joy in the process. If you like, if, if like that, when you have like, when you feel like really happy at, at, at a moment what that's that feeling is a chemical inside of your body that's trying to reinforce that action saying like, this mm. is good. Keep, do, keep doing this. When you, when you feel something like negative, like, like I hate this, this is the worst, uh, that chemical reaction, that emotion, that feeling is saying, don't do that thing again. And it imprints it in your brain. And it's just trying to reinforce the action. This is awesome. This is crazy. Okay. So if you, if I sit down and I think about something, I think about that coworker, I hate, and all of a sudden I get that negative response in my gut. It's like, oh, son of a gun, I hate that guy. Right. And mm-hmm. like, so that is saying like, don't think about that guy. Don't be around that guy. Reinforce that action. But if I think about the work, right, I think about the work that it is that I need to do. I know I got to do it. I know I got to do it. I know I don't really feel that, but I need to feel, I need to feel happy about that because if, you're, if I feel that feeling while that event's happening, then it reinforces the action. It'll be something that I actually want to do. The scores, the movie soundtracks, the movie sound, the movie, like the, like, like the tones and like the Pirates of the Caribbean, like those, that, those composers are experts at pulling emotion out of somebody at a particular point in a movie using music. So if I sit down and I am thinking about you know, the stupid machine gun dribbling. And I just want to enjoy the hell out of it. Right. And I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, I think about it. And then I put my headphones in and I take pirates of the Caribbean and I start putting it in my ears. You're getting that input into your brain. That's specifically designed for a particular emotion. Just got to pick the emotion. So I'm listening to this while thinking about me doing these drills. And all of a sudden, like I'm combining these two things and the emotion when I'm with like the movie screen in my head is putting this, it's like pasting this emotion on top of it, which is going to reinforce that result. And it's like candy. You're going to want to go back to it. So if you repeat that over and over again, you'll get to the point where your brain is like machine gun dribbling makes me so happy because you've now you've intentionally reinforced that using some, using some sick neuroscience and pirates of the Caribbean uh, to get you there. Well, I mean, what that is to me is you, sometimes I think it can be one of the most frustrating things in the world to have a, uh, a mentor, a coach, somebody that you're looking for leadership or advice on to say, look, you just have to change your mindset. You have a bad mindset about this. Just change your mindset. Okay. Just Just, just like the two ball dribbling. Okay. Just do it. And, and what you've just done is said, no, no, let's not pretend like that's as easy as what many people make it out to be. And also like it is, has any chance of being productive. Uh, and let's use our own neurology, our own biology in the attributes that it offers us in what we now know about it to actually adjust our mindset in a way that works. Yeah. Like you think, I think of like guys like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, like these guys, like they're like, it was automatic for them. Like I'm just going to do this thing. It wasn't like a grind. It was a hustle. Like I'm compelled to do this every single day. And it's like, if I woke up with that same motivation, if I woke up with that same drive and hunger to do those things, it wouldn't even be hard to do that. But in my current state, I don't feel that. Well, those are just connections happening inside of your brain. If you want to feel that you can go feel that you just have to understand that the way the body works. And when you understand the way that the body works, it's not that hard. You just have 
have to be consistent, organize the plan and just, and, and just build those connections, myelinate those connections, tune up those parts of your brain. You just have to understand how it works. And you can real, it's like, you can become that person who's like jumping out of bed in the morning. I want to work. I want to do these drills. I want to get these things done. I'm going to bury you on the court. Like you can become that person. It's just mm. connections in the brain. Sean, this has just been, it's been fascinating. And I, uh, it's, much of it is way over my head. I, I had no idea what the hell you were doing to Brandon Ingram, but he seemed to like it. And he was catching the the tennis ball and closing his eyes and doing the, doing the stuff. And now, I, now I get it and, and I'm sold. I mean, this is, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not, I mean, it, it, it it's, uh, it's, it, it, it really is so cool to think about how we can tap into the different aspects of, um, way beyond just the hardware of let's talk about how we get bigger quads and uh, we fend off Achilles tendonitis with some calf raises. Right. So uh, those things have their place, but there's, there's more than meets the eye with the body. Thank you for opening that curtain for us and, and delving in because uh, it was, it was, it is just fascinating. There's, there's one final question. It's the famous last question. This is the Basketball Strong Podcast. You can answer with a more emotional and uh, your, your gut, your heart, your, it could be technical in your answer, whatever you want. But the question is, what does it mean to you to be basketball strong? All right. So I guess I kind of cheated because I knew it was coming. I want to listen. I listen to the. I listen to the podcast. I like uh, a good. I like a good study. Okay, you know, honestly, to me, it is, it is being actually mentally tough. Because and here's and it's it, this neuroscience stuff is cool. Uh, like I love it, but it's really more about the perspective to me. Like if you look at. 99% of the basketball players in the world, they're not going to play in the NBA. They're not going to play professionally. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what the vast majority of the people tell you to do is, you know, the two ball dribbling, this stuff, whatever, this is the stuff that's going to get you to the NBA. What you have to understand is the majority is wrong. It's the 1% that gets there. So whatever everybody else is doing is probably not the thing that's going to get you to that level. It's the different things. And when we watch the guys in the NBA, when we see what they're doing, it is the different things. I can confirm that, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, behind the closed doors of an NBA weight room, those are the things that are, that are getting there. And when I talk to athletes, I say, like, you have to do these things, right? And this to people are like, what the hell is this guy talking about, right? Well, all, the mental toughness they found, it's like, you have to be mentally tough to get this done. Their, the, their, their definition of mental toughness is, you know, the Gatorade commercial of running the stadiums and doing power mm. cleans when nobody's watching and getting really sweaty and doing more reps. Well, the real mental toughness is to understand what really moves the needle and what really works and to go against the majority, to go against, you know, what everybody else is doing, what everybody else thinks is cool, what everybody else thinks is going to get them to the next level and have the understanding of what, what it is that it is that actually moves the needle, what actually is going to produce results in your, in your world. Uh, and again, like the brain's wired for conformity to, to follow the herd. You have to be mentally tough enough to see that and go in the other direction and swim upstream. That's basketball strong. Love it. Put it in the vault, Phil. It's locked. <laughs> Amazing. Sean, where can people follow, learn more, see what you're doing and, and just, uh, keep, keep tapping into that, that brain. 
Uh, so I would say the best place to really do it is go to my website, weightroomwealth.com. We put out a newsletter every every week about this stuff. Uh, it is, we do a lot of stuff business related, but it's it's highly performance, it's neurology mm-hmm. uh, and exercise science. We have a lot of you know programs, all sorts of cool stuff that you can check out. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's where I'm most active at slight, slight two zero. Uh, that's where I'm most active. But I bounce around. I got some TikTok stuff going. I'm not really on Instagram that much anymore, but I'm bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Before I go, I just want to say, TD, like you're my guy, dude. You've, you've helped me out so much. You, you undersell those, those, uh, those, you know, ISOs on the, on the Achilles tendon and stuff. But uh, <laughs> that, that was, it was eye opening to me, man. Like I, I remember you said to me, I really never forget this. Cause I, I, I thought, you know, I was, I was coming in. I thought I was a hot shot, you know? And, right. and I remember you said to me, I was like, why? Like, just, I was, I was being nice about it, but I was like, why, why do we do this? Uh, yeah. and you said, listen, you said, listen, when the best player in the world tears his Achilles, you, you, you start loading up the, the tendon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we're we're going to start doing this. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> say no more, my friend. Uh, Duly you, noted. Yeah. Yeah. You really, you really showed me the ropes, dude. And, and, you know, even my, my one year with, with the Lakers has resonated so far and, and so wide like has helped me in business. You know, I always tell people when I didn't know what I was doing in business, the only people that would show up to my seminars were Laker fans. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it's, it, I really do. I owe you a lot, man. And, and, and I'm, I, once you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for everything that, that, you know, you've done for me and, and along the way and just, just being, being my guy. Hey, it means a ton. And I spent five seasons with no, co-pilot in the process of being a strength coach in, in the NBA. And I got one season with a co-pilot. Um, it was, it was a pleasure. It was an honor. You approached it as, um, open-minded and as just willing to help, ready to help in a three point stance as anybody would have. So it, it goes both ways. And, uh, how cool is it that we get to sit on this end of it and, um, and, and just kind of learn, continue to learn from each other. No doubt, man. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram, at TD Athletes Edge and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong. <laughs>